Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, April 6th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Jacob Hall. Uh, hello, hello. Jacob, it's been a while since you've been on for a news episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, I got to shake off the bones and, you know, uh, remember how to speak, remember how to stand up, remember how to use the microphone, all that stuff. Well, Peter is not feeling super hot today, so the Moon Knight recap episode that normally happens on Wednesdays is going to be happening tomorrow. I think Ryan is going to join Peter and talk about that because I think Brad's going to be out of town for the next couple of days uh, doing some wedding stuff, attending a wedding. So um, that should be fun for him and uh, hopefully fun for our listeners to, to tune into that episode tomorrow. But in the meantime, let's get into... Actually, in the meantime, Ben, I'm sorry. I'm going to hijack your show. Yeah, do it. Um, have you watched Moon Knight yet? Uh, I have watched the first two episodes of Moon Knight, yes. I'm curious if you agree with me when I say Moon Knight, good show. I have very mixed feelings, Jacob. I um, I get a little exhausted at the the onslaught, the, the, the sheer um, tonnage of Marvel stuff. Um, but I have to admit that after two episodes, I do like the show. Um, I just have to try to keep it all in perspective because I really liked the first couple episodes of WandaVision. And then that show just sort of fell apart for me as it, as it, you know, uh, came into its home stretch there. So I just, uh, yeah, as of right this second, two episodes in, I, I've enjoyed what I've seen so far. I just, um, I'm hesitant about like, you know, any big declarations about the show because, uh, it's at that point, Jacob, where I'm looking at it like, you know, there's been only two episodes, which is great, which means there's a lot of runway left for it to either live up to its potential or not. And uh, I'm happy that the show hasn't disappointed me yet, but um, I've been burned too many times to uh, to get super excited this early. Fair, 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 fair. I, I will say, having seen the first four for, you know, screener purposes, I like the show a lot. I think episode four is going to be one that people are, I'd say it's, you know how people always praise like the best parts of WandaVision and Loki for just kind of taking a big swing, like mm-hmm, uh, in mm-hmm. terms of visuals and, and, and genre, and just changing things up. Like Episode four of Moon Knight is the one that people are going to be chatting about. 
Okay. All right. Well, now I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm definitely going to check it out. I mean, I pretty much have to for work anyway, but um, even if I wasn't covering it for work or, or sort of editing articles about it all day, I would definitely uh, continue to tune in just because Oscar Isaac at, at the very least is doing some interesting stuff there. So um, real good more... Oscar Isaac performance. Real Sorry. I've, I've talked about Moon Knight on, on, about with anybody at outside my house. So oh, I'm, yeah. I'm taking yeah. this opportunity to say Oscar Isaac and Moon Knight uh, real good. And his, he has a, a scene towards the end of episode two that we'll talk about tomorrow that I think is a really exceptional Oscar Isaac. I'm, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I've been, I've been waiting for the Marvel hero who wasn't always ready with a quip. Mm, as much mm-hmm. as I, I like guys who are quippy or like who are noble, I like that the, the, the two leads of Moon Knight, both by Oscar Isaac, are two people who are just completely should not be in the Marvel Universe. That's why I like Oscar Isaac's <laughs> performance so much. Yeah, I will say that my favorite thing about the uh, Marvel that Marvel Cinematic Universe TV experiment so far has been the casting and just like finding, um, you know, bringing more people into this universe. Like I think Haley Steinfeld is fantastic in the way that, that she sort of bounced off back and forth with Florence Pugh was like the best part of Hawkeye. I love Oscar Isaac in this show. And I'm just like, I'm looking at these shows almost as like, um, uh, on ramps to the larger, like the quote unquote real MCU of like the movie world, and just imagining, um, you know, in- incorporating the best parts of these shows, which I've found to be kind of lackluster overall. Um, the idea that that uh, Kevin Feige will be able to sort of pluck the best elements from these shows and drop them into other stories with other characters is is pretty exciting. Um, like the idea of Stephen Grant. And or Mark Spector, I don't know what what the uh, identity situation is going to be at the end of Moon Knight, but either one of those characters interacting with the Avengers or you know other familiar MCU characters uh, in some movie or something down the line is uh, is kind of amusing to me. So um, so yeah, at, at the very least, I think it's successful on that front. All right, you have my permission now to pivot to your actual podcast news. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, there are a few news items here that I thought we should talk about today. Um, the first of which is uh, a surprising, um, I guess, uh, I don't know what you would call her, a, a piece of Hollywood royalty almost is, is going to be working with Netflix, and that is Nancy Myers. She has signed a deal to uh, develop, like, write, direct, uh, produce a new comedy for Netflix. Um, this is very exciting news for people who care about uh, Nancy Myers and the state of the romantic comedy. I mean, she's the director behind the Parent Trap remake and What Woman Wants, Something's Gotta Give, The Holiday, It's Complicated, and The Intern, which was her last movie that she made in 2015. So it's been seven years since Nancy Myers has made a movie. And uh, in that time, I think the the modern romantic comedy sort of uh, almost died and then was resuscitated a little bit and and really kind of uh, Netflix kind of picked up that baton and, and ran with it and kind of helped like breathe some life back into that genre. Um, and for a lot of people, it's just sort of been like, why has Nancy Myers been sitting on the sidelines for so long? This, this so often happens with female directors, more so than male directors, where they'll just be stuck in director jail uh, for years. Um, I mean, look at Jane Campion. Look, I mean, there's just so many uh, examples of this happening over the years. And Nancy Myers, who has made movies that have been largely very successful. I think she has an Oscar nomination, at least at least one, maybe more. Um, I have her IMDb page open. I can answer this. Yeah, for writing Private Benjamin in 1981. Okay. So. Yeah, so, um, I mean, you know, th- there's no reason why... Uh, it, 
why Nancy Myers shouldn't have been making movies all this time if that's what she wanted to do. And um, I'm, I'm just glad that Netflix is finally uh, making what I what I view as like a very obvious decision of just like, hey, you know, this is what Netflix does. Just give auteur filmmakers the money and space to do what they want to do and um, and reap the benefits of all those eyeballs. So, uh, Jacob, do you have any thoughts on Nancy Myers or her filmography or her jumping to Netflix at all? Yeah, I mean, Nancy Myers, like, you don't have to be a rom-com fan to, like, recognize that she's very good at making these kinds of movies. I mean, like, I'm looking at her filmography, like, I'm a big Holiday fan. Like, The Holiday is a genuinely really good movie, probably my favorite of hers. And she just makes uh, such warm, nice, easy-to-watch movies. The kind of movies that you get that, you know, don't go to theaters anymore. Movies that, you know, I feel... I don't feel it's everybody feels everybody knows this that you know Netflix has been making for the past ten years. Like Netflix has sort of cornered the market on rom coms, and I think them recognizing that this modern state of the genre owes a great deal to filmmakers like Nancy Myers. You know, if they're going to be famously hands off uh, with their filmmakers, which they are, which sometimes is disastrous, you might as well let a veteran filmmaker, somebody who's legitimately been doing this for decades, like Nancy Myers, <laughs> be hands off with a rom-com on Netflix. The, the, the worst thing that can happen here, the worst thing that can happen for Netflix is that only millions of people watch this as opposed to, you know, tens of millions of people. Uh, because I can't imagine every single mom with a Netflix account not watching the new Nancy Myers joint. I just can't imagine it. So it's, it also, when I say moms, that includes people who are moms in spirit, like my wife and like me. So, um, we're all going to watch the Nancy Myers movie, whether we like it or not, we're all going to like it. Damn it. So, uh, Nancy Myers, go, you get the Netflix money, make whatever you want, make your dream project, build the best Hollywood kitchen we've ever seen and stage actors in it saying funny things. That's all I want from this movie. Yeah. So we don't have any details about the plot or anything. We just know it's going to be an ensemble comedy. Um, Jacob, I think that the, maybe the worst thing that could happen here is if, uh, is if Ryan Reynolds gets cast in this um, just because he has become <laughs> like the poster boy for Netflix uh, properties these days. And um, I don't know if he would necessarily jive well with, uh, with the whole Nancy Myers aesthetic. I'm really hoping that this is a project that is not, um, you know, uh, I guess cooked up by algorithm to within an inch of its life. So here's hoping Netflix really does uh, go full hands off on this and just let Nancy Myers do whatever she wants to do so what you need um, to do is have a um a, a team up movie all of her previous protagonists all team up get Lindsay lohan back pull jack nicholson <laughs> out of retirement uh bring back jack black from the holiday kate Winslet from the holiday put them all in one super movie they are all stranded in a, in a beach house with a nice kitchen that's, that's what we need <laughs> oh man don't say that too loud jacob they might actually do that <laughs> uh all right so our next story here involves uh the continuing adventures of sherlock holmes jacob tell me about that yeah this is a uh uh, it was announced that Rob Downey Jr.'s uh, production company, uh, Team Downey, which he runs with his uh, spouse, are they're creating a Sherlock Holmes universe. They're working on two vaguely, vaguely described Sherlock Holmes projects for HBO Max. Uh, what this means is it mean movies, it mean TV shows. Uh, as far as I can tell, it's not 100% clear. It's one of those very early development stories. But uh, Rob Downey Jr. played Sherlock Holmes twice, two movies, Sherlock Holmes and Sherlock Holmes, uh, uh, A Game of Shadows. And he's not done yet. He's he is uh, either uh, loves his character enough, or realizes this is an avenue for him to use a recognizable name to recover from Doolittle. Who knows? Uh, but what I do know is that uh, everybody wants your universes. Everybody wants your cinematic stuff. Everybody wants Rob Downey Jr. Even after Doolittle. So I'm very curious what this is. I, I I'm not sure I want more of Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes. But as somebody who's read every Sherlock Holmes story, who's read all. Of, throughout the Conan Doyle's Holmes stories and novels. 
I would love to see more Sherlock Holmes. I would love to see actual adaptation of those stories. Uh, some, some of them need some proper updating, of course. But the one thing I really appreciate about the Sherlock Holmes movies that Don Jr. did is that even though they're very heavy on action, they kind of really got the spirit of those stories more so than a lot of the other adaptations, which are very stagey, very, you know, one room mystery and kind of ignore the parts where in <laughs> the stories and novels where Watson's kicking down doors or they're like pursuing people through the streets. And there's a, there's a real vibrancy and energy of those stories. I think still feels untapped over a century later. And I think maybe the Diamond Jr. movies, you know, the guy Ritchie directed, maybe took it a step too far. Maybe took it a bit too heavy on the action, but I, I think that some kind of HBO Max project that, st- that sets out to really, really adapt those stories one by one, episode per story. It's not confirmed what they're doing. It's, it's me, this elevator pitching it right here into the, into, into the ether. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that works out. And there's enough people out there who have written Sherlock Holmes universe novels and stories. I mean, so many authors from uh, Nicholas Meyer to um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar have written Sherlock Holmes fan fiction. It's been published, like, like actual novels. In fact, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar writes a series of novels about Mycroft Holmes, Sherlock Holmes' uh, smarter brother, who has his own series of adventures. So if this is actually a character who I think is uniquely suited to a universe, because people have been playing in this universe for over a century now, like 150, nearly 150 years of Sherlock Holmes stories and people saying, what about his brother? What about the, this character we met? What about uh, Irene Adler, the the uh, woman, the only woman who can capture Sherlock Holmes' heart? What, what happened to her? Mm-hmm. Other other writers have been asking those questions for years. So I don't cringe at Sherlock Holmes Cinematic Universe, Ben. Maybe I should, but I don't because writers have been doing it already since yeah, the 1800s. I think you're absolutely right about that. And I'm curious, did you ever get a chance to see Enola Holmes, the Millie Robbie Brown movie on Netflix? From You know what? I, I did not. I, I got... One of those things where I, I think the marketing turned me off in a pretty significant way because it was very much it's not this is not your Sherlock Holmes story this is for the teens, but I hear it's actually pretty good. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's definitely uh, primarily aimed at younger younger crowds, um, but I think it's pretty successful. And I think you know that's a Netflix thing. This is an HBO Max thing. It's actually unclear to me even if Robert Downey Jr. himself is going to return to reprise the role of Sherlock Holmes in this expanded universe, in this TV universe, or whatever it is that they're doing here. I know that he he definitely is involved as a producer in whatever's going to happen here. But um, but yeah, it may be an interesting opportunity, like you said, to sort of spin this off into different characters and and not necessarily focus on him and not lock him into, you know, um, playing this character on TV for uh, the foreseeable future. And maybe it'll leave him more open and available to do more movie stuff, which I think all of us would be um, interested in in seeing, you know, how his movie career continues to uh, to shake out post MCU. So what they need to do, and this is me once again, telling Hollywood how to do their job. Um, is the thing I find most moving about Sherlock Holmes, especially if you read all of the original stories in published order, is that Holmes and Watson aged with those stories. I mean, they're, they're young, strapping men. Like Watson just got back from serving as a soldier in Afghanistan in the original, in, like in his first appearance in, in um, a study in Scarlet. And by the final stories, they're old men, um, like ret- re- on the verge of retirement, looking back over decades of experience. And what I would love for them to do is like do like three or four Sherlock Holmes episodes or TV movies a year, like to do the Columbo format where instead of doing full seasons, you do essentially a series of TV movies. You do that, you lock down an actor who's happy to have the job. Like you get a top, we say when Tom Hiddleston wants to play Loki for the rest of his life, find somebody who wants to play Sherlock Holmes for the rest of his life and just have him do one or two, one to, one to three TV movies a year, 
for the next 30 years and watch him age in real time. Imagine, Ben, you and I as old men on Slash Home Daily saying, remember when we saw him as young men and now we're old, now we're, now <laughs> tears are pouring down our face because they pulled it off so well? That's my pitch for my ambitious Sherlock Holmes TV project. So, so basically what you're saying is take the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock that has already existed, that had that sort of like three episode a year, almost like 90 minute episode kind of like movie a year format and just like run that into perpetuity basically <laughs> just like yeah. until benedict cumberbatch croaks keep that going yeah but uh, but unlike that show don't run into the ground don't don't like i genuinely think that like this is why i'm annoyed at God, look at me rambling on uh this is why <laughs> no, i'm annoyed at, at the amazon reacher series the jack reacher series because i really like those books they're extremely fun reads but they're, they're trying to do one season per novel which doesn't make sense because each of those novels tells a pretty concise story. And by stretching into 10 episode seasons, you're really kind of butchering these really well-paced airport reads. Mm-hmm. I say that with all love. And what they should be doing is making, you know, three to four Jack Reacher TV movies straight to Amazon a year. Uh, in the same way that, you know, Peter Falk would do Columbo TV movies or other actors would, 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 would uh, thought that, like, essentially instead of, instead of like direct a video stuff you know you're doing direct to streaming so they can be lower budgeted they should be based around you know characters and actors we like as opposed to you know massive action or like massive you know special effects mm-hmm. and just i don't know i think jack reacher and Sherlock holmes are uniquely suited to be tv movie characters or streaming movie characters and we should watch the same actor play them for decades and that's all i want out of this and no one's giving it to me ben and i i mean why are they listening to me i don't understand like i'm clearly i'm a genius so <laughs> Well, we'll see if somebody picks up on that idea. It sounds like it has a lot of potential and, and definitely, yeah, like added um, emotional heft if something like that were to actually come to pass. So, um, all right. Speaking of things that may or may not come to pass, uh, Spider-Man 4, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4. So this movie almost happened. It was pretty close to production. I know that there were storyboards that were drawn up. I mean, there was like uh, the what was his name? John Malkovich was supposed to be the vulture in it. I think Anne Hathaway was going to be playing the vulture's daughter. I mean, it was like cast up, almost ready to go. Sony ended up pulling the plug and then they decided to reboot the Spider-Man character with Andrew Garfield instead. So this is after the events of uh, Spider-Man 3 from 2007. Now, in the wake of Spider-Man No Way Home with the return of Tobey Maguire, there's been a lot of speculation discussion about what should happen to the future of spider-man all these spider men spider mans who are uh wandering around in the mcu and the the wider interconnected multiverse and sam raimi was asked about uh, whether he would be interested in coming back for a spider-man 4 with toby mcguire and kirsten dunst and he said i've come to realize after making doctor strange that anything is possible really anything in the marvel universe any team-ups i love toby i love kirsten dunst i think all things are possible i don't really have a story or a plan i don't know if marvel would be interested in that right now i don't know what their thoughts are about that i haven't really pursued that but it sounds beautiful even if it wasn't a spider-man movie i'd love to work with toby again in a different role so um jacob any thoughts here? I know we did, we did actually a big like Spider-Man uh, centric episode not too long ago on the show where we talked about the ending of No Way Home and what we want to see from the future of the franchise. You were not on that episode, but uh, do you have any any thoughts about um, seeing Tobey Maguire return here? I know that a lot of people have especially been especially vocal about wanting to see Andrew Garfield come back for more. But do you think uh, Tobey Maguire should or would be interested in coming back for uh, Spider-Man 4? They should not make Spider-Man for Tobey Maguire. I say this to somebody who is uh, vice president uh, and treasurer of the Spider-Man 3 fan club, who likes to dance stuff, who likes that disease, strange movie. Uh, and would have been excited to see Spider-Man 4, you know, 
over 10 years ago. Like I still have vivid memories of sitting in the college computer lab working on a project when I opened up my think slash film.com and saw the new Spider-Man 4 was canceled. Uh, so it's one of those cases where it's uh, I there was a time and a place for it. And Spider-Man No Way Home felt really special. The stuff in that movie at work is so unique. It's because it's really playing on a nostalgia in ways that I think are incredibly effective. And, or at least in the case of Andrew Garfield, uh, building nostalgia for something that we, we all didn't like at the time, but mm. now kind of wish we liked. <laughs> Basically, we like Andrew Garfield now. So I, I do think Sam Raimi is being polite here. I think that he very clearly knew his question was coming. I wouldn't be surprised if he was coached by Marvel by what to say. Mm-hmm. I don't think Sam Raimi would ever actually make Spider-Man 4. I think he's... The fact that he just seems to just kind of work when he wants these days, um, I don't think... I don't think it's going to happen. Tobey is happy, barely acting. He's making too much money doing whatever else he does, gambling, if you are to believe <laughs> the stories. But it's one of those things where, yeah, it sounds great in theory, but how tired would we be if there was four different Spider-Man franchises running at once? Garfield, yeah. McGuire, Holland, and uh, the Spider-Verse stuff. It was a really, really nice treat. I'm glad we got it. I think No Way Home is, is terrific. I think it, everything that we does works. It, as cynical as it could have been, it works. And we should quit while we're ahead. We should absolutely not <laughs> pursue this. Okay. Uh, I actually, this reminded me that we got an email recently about that Spider-Man and the MCU speculation episode that we did. And I think this is a good opportunity to uh, in, insert this in here real quick. So Brittany from SoCal wrote to us and she said, uh, hey, Slash on Team, I really enjoyed that Spider-Man podcast. It got me thinking there is probably a 95% chance that Tom Holland returns to Spider-Man for Sony, but I'm actually really nervous about Holland's Spider-Man returning to the Marvel Cinematic Universe given the current leadership at Disney. The last deal between Sony and Disney only happened because Bob Iger decided to call Tom Rothman at Sony after speaking to Tom Holland. Bob Chapek has been notoriously unfriendly to creatives and talent during his tenure. Like he would rather let talent sue and publicly chastise them for it instead of just honoring their contract unfriendly. I can't imagine Chapek fighting for a new deal with Sony to keep one character in the MCU. What do you guys think? If I had to guess, if Spider-Man does come back to the MCU, it would be after Chapek is gone, hopefully in February 2023 when his contract is up. What do you think uh, from Brittany from Southern California? So, Jacob, any thoughts there? Yeah, uh, Bob Chapek is, um, I don't think he's been around for much longer. I I feel like the negative press around Bob Chapek has, has reached a point where casual Disney fans, casual people uh, who don't follow hardcore movie news, like people listen to Slash Home Daily, they know Chapek's a problem, uh, both in movies and and uh, internal stuff, and even theme parks. It's been it's been a disastrous tenure, and my guess is that we will see Tom Holland back in the MCU. It'll be under two circumstances: one, Bob Chapek leaves, somebody takes over, and everything works out, or Chapek ponies up an obscene amount of money for Sony because. <laughs> because JPEG, if if nothing else, is a businessman. He knows what Spider-Man money prints. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it's just a question of how deep into their wallets Disney will have to end up going with this because I cannot imagine a scenario where Disney's board lets JPEG lose Spider-Man. I cannot yeah. imagine that happening. JPEG will be fired and run through the streets, naked covered in tar and feathers <laughs> before that happens. So um, yeah, I, 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 th- I, I do think that when... There was that week, couple weeks long period where Sony and Marvel had their rift and it was, it was patched up. I, I also do think that was partially um, some theatrics. I think both of them did a very public break to try to see, 
try to gauge interest, try to get the other one to you know step one and step closer uh, to maybe mm-hmm. reduce, lose a comma, lose a zero somewhere in the numbers. Uh, I, I think that it's in the best interest of both Sony and Disney to be, to be nice on this. It's just a matter of how many zeros Sony demands from Bob Chapek. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, okay, our next story involves a Killing Eve prequel show. Jacob, tell me about that. I'll do the best I can. I have not seen any Killing Eve, Ben. Uh, oh, okay. But they are making a prequel show uh, centered on the character of uh, Carolyn Mertens, who is played by uh, Fiona Shaw on the series. For I can tell, she is a spy master. She's a person who's sort of pulling the strings from behind the scenes. And I know Killing Eve is supposed to be good. And the idea of somebody playing a young Fiona Shaw, Fiona Shaw you know, pr- presumably decades in the past, doing British spy stuff in a period piece. I'd watch that show. I mean, I should probably watch Killing Eve first. But you know what? I, I think I would watch uh, a TV show that's essentially... What if female M in, let's say, the 80s uh, works with spies? I mean, have you seen Killing Eve, Ben? What, what, am I, what am I talking about here? Yeah, I mean, all of that makes sense to me. I've seen the first, I want to say, two seasons of Killing Eve. And then it's sort of like the second season was so much, um, not like terrible, but just the first season was so good. And then the second season was a, a noticeable drop off that um, I just never, I think there's four seasons of show total uh, and the season series finale question mark is supposed to be coming up like in just a few days, like April 10th, I think. Um, so the show, the, the mothership show, I guess is, is coming to a close very soon. Um, I think, you know, talking to, to other people who have seen it, they've said basically like it's all downhill after the first season. So um the performances are are solid throughout, but I think the the scenarios just become like a little too ridiculous to to track over time. Um, Carolyn Mertens, I don't know if, if this character. I mean, yeah, I guess I guess you're right, Jacob. Like before she becomes the M figure, you know, maybe she was like a more um, like a conventional agent or something, and then it's just a period spy show, which uh, you know we're always kind of down for. Um, have you ever seen? Have you seen any of? Um, is the show on Apple TV Plus now? It's called uh, Slow Horses, the one with um, Gary Oldman. It's like it's basically what we're talking about. It's it's another. Uh, it's it's not a period show. I think it's set in modern day, but it's very much a like um, out of the the school of Jean Le Carre that kind of spy show. Have you seen that yet? I haven't seen it yet, but I, I saw pieces of a, of a review that did not like it at all. <laughs> oh, okay. So, I didn't realize that. I have, I've missed that review. So maybe uh, maybe something to avoid, but I just want to put that on your radar in case it wasn't there already. But um, yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, neither one of us are really um, super, uh, have a lot to say about the, the world of Killing Eve. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I think casting would go a long way here. Like whoever they cast, if, you know, if you get another Jodie Comer, for example, like somebody who's just a... Uh, a dynamite charismatic performer that will will probably go a long way towards um, building up uh, good um, uh, sentiment for the show. Yeah, Speaking but I, of- I guess, yeah, I want, I want to say a, a good segue here is maybe some shows should just end. Maybe they should <laughs> let some shows just end and not be revived in any way. Uh, anyway, Ben, what, I'm going to take a sip of water. What's the next news story? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Orphan Black is coming back uh, with a new show in 2023. Um Jacob, I, I didn't really watch any of Orphan Black. I think I maybe saw the pilot episode and and definitely did not uh, finish a full season of the show. Um, but I know that it, it had like a small but um, but uh, vocal set of fans here. Uh, this was, I think it was on the uh, BBC America originally. Um, did you ever see any of Orphan Black, Jacob? Orphan Black arrived in a very specific window where it was still very hard to find certain things. I, I feel like these days, if you want to stream something, even if you have to pay two ninety nine dollars for it, it's a pretty easy way to somehow get to the thing legally. 
which Orphan Black was in, was in a very specific window for me, where I had a, where I, even though I knew it was up my alley, this science fiction series where uh, Tatiana Maslany plays a bunch of clones of the same person, uh, all interacting, some good, some evil, some in between, various different backgrounds, sounds very much up my alley. But it, it arrived in just that window where I just couldn't see it. So I've been meaning to catch up with it for years, especially since uh, Tatiana Maslany is you know, set to star in Disney's uh, She-Hulk series, the, new, the next Marvel Cinematic Universe show, a character who I love in the comics. Um, so I guess my whole thing is, like, if she's being wrapped up in Disney Plus stuff, one, is she even able to return for Orphan Black show? Two, would she even want to? She kind of put that behind her. So my question for fans is, do you want more shows set in the Orphan Black universe? Because... My talking to people who like this show, including Jeremy, uh, who, who Jeremy Mathai, who wrote the art, this news up for us, he spends the entire article explaining how, oh, the show is great because of Tatiana Maslany. And I just can't imagine her coming back for a spinoff show years after the fact when she has an entire second career as a Marvel lead. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And the show, I think, is going to be called Orphan Black Echoes. And it's a it's technically a spinoff from the original series. There's no word yet about whether Maslany is going to come back or any of the other cast members might come back. Um, it's, you know, of course it's possible for like a small cameo or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, you know, it's like Oscar Isaac, like now that he's in the MCU, the thing I'm slightly worried about is that that is going to eat up so much of his time that he's not necessarily going to have, uh, you know, for other sort of projects is the, 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 uh, the state of, of, um, a modern, uh, movie star or charismatic person, TV, you know, performer, whatever you want to call people, uh, nowadays. Um, it's that same like franchise problem we've been talking about for, for years and years at this point. So, uh, this new show orphan black echoes is going to be set in the near future. It, going to take a deep dive into the exploration of the scientific manipulation of human existence. It follows a group of women as they weave their way into each other's lives and embark on a thrilling journey, unraveling the mystery of their identity and uncovering a wrenching story of love and betrayal, which uh, as Jeremy points out, it, it could basically mirror the synopsis of the original show. So um, yeah, uh, we don't really know much about this. It's going to premiere on AMC plus uh, which probably means it will also air on AMC at some point uh, in 2023. So more details to come on that front. But um, Jacob, somebody who has not seen uh, the original, I don't, I don't think either one of us are like super uh, qualified to, to go off on, on big rants on this. But yeah, like you said, you know, this and, and the Killing Eve thing, I think it's a good case for like, I know Hollywood is franchise obsessed, but yeah, maybe some things should just, uh, should just die on the vine. Yeah, I, I, I just... There are certain look. I'm no stranger to when nostalgia arrives and kicks you right in in, in, in the, the butt or the head or wherever your nostalgia gets kicked. I mean, yesterday they announced that the next season of Star Trek Picard is going to bring back the, the rest of the original Next Generation cast, and I'd go I'd go sit down for a moment at that news. So I, I, I am zero stranger to wanting to see the things I love come back in ways that are satisfying. But you know what? Star Trek Nemesis uh, gave those characters a really piss poor send off. So I'm actually excited about the show possibly giving them the conclusion they deserve. So that's where nostalgia feels earned. It feels like it's coming in to rectify a wrong. And I guess I'm just not so sure that Killing Eve and uh, Orphan Black coming back is rectifying any wrongs. 
Yeah, well, I, I would love to hear from readers who have actually like finished those shows, taken them all the way across the finish line. And and if, because uh, I, I don't remember hearing, I think Orphan Black ended in 2017. And I don't really remember hearing any uproar about like how the final season was terrible. It certainly wasn't to something like Dexter levels where it was just like, you know, a mockery and, and an embarrassment for the show or anything. But if you guys listeners out there um, have any thoughts about the, the continuations of either of these shows or spinoffs or anything like that, um, I would I'd love to hear them. So you can just shoot us an email at uh, peter at slashfilm.com. Um, all right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And once again, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at peter at slashhelm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.